0: What's the coolest thing about James Bond? The thrilling espionage, the scenery-chewing villains, the casual sex, the food porn, car porn, weapons porn? I would argue it's none of these. The coolest thing about James Bond is the effortless multilingualism, the fantasy of fluency he embodies. This has to be the coolest thing about James Bond. You could argue that this is just the fictionalisation of his creator's own multilingualism, since Ian Fleming was fluent in French, German, and Russian, and used all three in his naval intelligence role in the Second World War, although there he bore the much less sexy code name of 17F. But let's look more closely at how Bond's multilingualism features in the fiction, and let's take the first archetypal Bond novel as our test case, the 1953 publication, Casino Royale. What draws the spy any spy to languages is seeing them primarily as yet another set of codes to be mastered, manipulated, and cracked. And in Casino Royale, Bond's first sneering villain is called tellingly Le Chiffre, Herr Ziffer, the cipher, an obese, sexually voracious brothel owner and paymaster to a communist trade union in Alsace working for Soviet intelligence, but with a fatal gambling addiction. Le Chiffre, we are told, is Bilingual in French and English, good German. Bond's first multilingual villain is Code Made Flesh. Yet Bond's own fascination for coding starts earlier than this. We find out later in the novel that he earned his 00 status by shooting a Japanese cipher expert in New York, a code earned for a code broken. So 007 is a Code Made Flesh too. In fact, the climax of the torture scene in Casino Royale involves Bond having a Cyrillic letter carved into his hand, a crude tattooing denouncing him as a spy to all Soviet agents. Both he and Le Chiffre quite literally embody languages. Bond, we learn, is fluent in French and Russian. In this much, both he and Le Chiffre again rise above the other blithering foreigners or desk-bound monoglots in the novel. Bond has to translate his French quips to his American ally, Felix Leiter. One of Le Chiffre's Bulgarian henchmen is betrayed by his appalling French accent and is gunned down as a result. Meanwhile, back in the London office, M irascibly dismisses a fellow intelligence officer who uses French with him. Growling, this is not the Berlitz School of Languages. If you want to show off your knowledge of foreign jawbreakers, be good enough to provide a crib. Better still, write in English. The only other main character in the novel, who matches the easy mastery of foreign languages shared by Bond and Le Chiffre, is the first Bond girl of them all, Vesper Linde. In the teeth of Bond's vicious misogyny, she is presented as speaking French like a native and knowing her job backwards. In fact, she is a Russian double agent who outsmarts Bond before committing suicide the exceptional woman proving Bond's fallibility at the origins of his otherwise infallible career. In fact, the brilliant Irene Adler fulfils the same function for that other maverick British polyglot, Sherlock Holmes, the sleuth outthought only the once, by she he refers to only as the woman. But returning to Casino Royale, its very title is composed of two foreign terms and appears to contain a basic grammatical error since casino in French is masculine, so the adjective royal should be without the E in order to agree in gender and number. Is this Fleming's sly wink to his compatriot's limited language skills? Most probably not. As it transpires, royal is not an adjective but a place name, Royal des Eaux, a small shabby genteel seaside town in Normandy. Once famous for its spa cures, and now celebrated for the restored casino of the title, so Casino Royale. The rest of the story is littered with French terms, rarely if ever translated, as we move through this world with Bond's multilingual ears and eyes. Yet, apart from the set phrases in French of the gaming tables and the dining table, Bond's only direct foray into the language of Molière is to play on the humorous expression "enculé les mouches." which translates us to split hairs, but which means literally to bugger flies. An internal monologue also gives us later et la bourgeoisie, or to shock the middle classes. So Bond's French turns on idioms. On the one hand, a cultural index of fluency. On the other, markers of lazy, conformist thought. In this much, his language skills tally with a spy's casual racism, queasy sexism, and nasty nationalism, for Bond's multilingualism is not just effortless but also unthinking, as natural to him as his Britishness and rough-hewn charm. Crucially, he is never seen acquiring it. It is his as though by birthright. In a Cold War universe in which he moves, Bond's fluency is thus ideological. Its opposite is not monolingualism as such, but work the work required to learn languages, the work needed to practice, revise, fail, look foolish, try again, fail better, and so fall in love with those loopy foreign sounds and senses. Bond's fluency is a denial of language work because work is a communist good, because the worker is a communist hero. It's not incidental that Bond's ultimate defeat of Le Chiffre also brings down a perfectly legitimate trade union in the northeast of France. But work is too grubby and mundane a subject for spy fiction. So the opposite of Bond's easy loquacity and foreign tongues is not toil, but torture. Perhaps Fleming plays knowingly here on the root of the French word travail, found in the medieval torturing device, the tripalium. Either way, the opposite of speaking fluently is refusing to speak a word under the most body-shattering, excruciating pain and Bond's graphic torture at the hands of Le Chiffre in Casino Royale is an eye-watering illustration of this. Yet this same torture scene also reveals something else about how multilingualism is weaponized in Bond's world. The power dynamic between Bond and the villain is best defined not by the spy's naked, chained, battered body, but by Le Chiffre switching seamlessly to English before the physical torture begins. He spoke English with no accent, we are told, making Bond feel puny and impotent. Bond is beating linguistically before his manhood is thrashed to a pulp. This alternation between easy fluency and stiff upper lip, or multilingualism in the service of the monolingual state apparatus, projects a vision of society founded on ceaseless implicit conflict. In Bond's world, foreign languages fetishized in seduction, those fancy French menus read to Vesper, or weaponized in action the whispered responses in French that unnerve Le Chiffre's henchmen It is a not-so-soft power which accordingly should be entrusted to the few and not the many As such, it stands at marked odds with the reality of multilingualism today The French, Polish, Urdu, Chinese heard in schoolyards, building sites office blocks and homes at once levelling and empowering Likewise, Bon's suave effacement of language work demeans the arduous, not to say tortuous, efforts put in daily by students and teachers of foreign languages across the country. In his elitist Cold War worldview, the iconic secret agent denies multilingual agency to all but his twisted foes or disposable love objects, and so his, is a conception of foreign tongues as the glib vehicle of multiple chauvinisms, and which might then have more in common with the short-sighted closing of language departments in state schools with Brexit-fuelled insularity and ignorance than we would care to admit. And so, in the final analysis, perhaps James Bond's fantasy of fluency isn't really that cool after all. Yeah!